you turn to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, if you're not familiar with your Bible, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and then you've got the book of Acts, written by a man called Luke, Acts chapter 20. This is the penultimate episode of our Unstoppable Church series. Can't believe it. We started in January. Don't look too excited. Ah, oh, that's better. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> is it over yet? This is number 14 out of 15. We've been going through Paul's second and third missionary journeys in the book of Acts. When after establishing new churches and then returning to Antioch and Jerusalem for a while, he goes back on his second and then his third missionary journeys. He wants to strengthen the churches that he's planted and start new ones as well. We've seen that happening in Philippi and Thessalonica and Ephesus, these different places he stops off on his travels. And uh, we're now coming to the end of his journeying before things all change for him, which we won't focus on. But what we wanted to learn in this is to recognize how um, God's church, when filled with the Holy Spirit, being guided by the Holy Spirit, being empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, operating the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The church, she is unstoppable. And over the past 2,000 years, by hook or by crook, she, he, via the church, has proved that. He has proved that his church, she is an unstoppable force when living and moving and walking with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we've seen. We've seen that Acts is a description of what happens when people live that out, and we, we want to learn from that, don't we, for, for Home Bay, for Kent, for Britain, for beyond as well. And so we've learned a lot of things. Today we're going to learn something a little bit different. Let's just read the story. But this is one of the points I want to make. I don't know about you, but whenever I've been to Christian conferences or Bible weeks, Bible weekends, big events, you can come away buzzing, can't you? You feel all hyped up, and yes! And then normal life gets in the way (laughs) and the bubble bursts and passion disappears very very quickly doesn't it or when a miracle occurs amazing answer to prayer yes you're walking on air it's really exciting the passion fades when life gets boring again there's a danger in that actually isn't there we can't rely on these experiences i want to talk about what god has helped put in place to help us avoid this roller coaster ride as much as those are good things we don't invalidate them but what about life in between Well, today, here we see an everyday event that then becomes a very not everyday event. And we can learn something from this. this, um, Just to set the scene, Paul has now arrived at a place called Troas. It's an ancient port on the Aegean Sea. It was in Greece. That part's now become Turkey. It's on what is now the Turkish coast. And it's quite near to where the ancient city of Troy was, hence the similar name, Troy and Troas. And this is where Paul is. We'll start in um, verse, verse 6. Just to explain that, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, they travelled across the Aegean Sea. We came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, Sunday, Sabbath, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Ah, don't go on too long with your sermon, Stephen. Who's fallen asleep in a sermon? Let's be honest. Be honest, who's fallen asleep in a sermon? Yeah, more hands are going up. They're creeping up very, yeah, maybe. As long as you don't see my hand going up. I've done it. It happens. Maybe Paul went on a bit. Bless him. 
Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. Becoming, being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted, I'm sure. Let me just pray. Lord, this is your word and there is a reason why all these details are included in this strange little passage. Lord, we just pray that you will reveal to us, as Barb was showing earlier, that magnifying glass where the sunlight gets concentrated onto the point that's needed, onto its target, that you will bring something aflame this morning. You will spark something into life in each one of us, I pray actually, this morning as, you, as we... Uh, as we dig into your word to find out what you have to say to us. So come and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, a young man fell asleep during a sermon. <laughs> and then he died. To be fair, there were, it does give the uh, detail, there was a lot of lamps in the room. And because uh, there weren't electric light bulbs, I'm sure it got quite hot. And uh, it was very late. And Paul was going on a bit. So, to be fair, I can't really blame him. But we need to understand this is more than just a mere collapse, more than getting some injuries. He's fallen from the third story. This is major injuries from a great fall. This is a fatal, fatal um, accident. I attended to a lady, I used to be a paramedic for 20 years, and I attended to a lady in Whitstable High Street. In fact, I believe that was a Sunday morning, in fact. The street was quiet. She'd fallen from a second story window. She never woke up from the moment she hit the ground and she died the next day. It's, that was second story. This is the third story. You've got to understand how, you just picture your house and where you could fall from. You're not getting up again. And that's what happens to this young lad, Eutychus. But God in his grace, he allows a miracle. Remember, a miracle is a surprising moment when the supernatural breaks into the natural, when the normal physical laws shouldn't, should always go a certain way. You fall from that height, you stay dead. God breaks in. Sometimes he chooses to in his grace. And this is what he's done here. But it was embedded amongst the mundane, everyday, ongoing routines of Christian life. I think it's very fascinating that these, this happens in this moment, <coughs> and I think it's very fascinating that it occurs, these details are given, why they've met. They're not just gathering for a social. They're gathering on the Sabbath, on the first day of the week, to break bread together. And I believe this is important because besides different principles and understandings of of uh, God's perspective on marriage and sex and work and rest. There's many things that Jesus taught us in his ministry time on various subjects. But actually, he left us with very basic instructions as his followers. Very basic. First of all, love God. It's not rocket science. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Luke 10:27. Love God. First of all, if that's not number one, everything else goes awry. That keeps everything set in place. Love God. And then he says, love others. It's not difficult to grasp, is it? We're the ones who make it complicated, aren't we? Love God, love others. Love your neighbour as yourself, love one another, so people will know you're my disciples. Love God, love others. And then he says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptising them and teaching them to obey what I've commanded you. So make disciples. Then legacy needs to go on. The family needs new generations. We are all meant to be involved in discipling one another, discipling new people, bringing them into the kingdom, You're pointing them to Christ and so on. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. Be baptised. It's a public demonstration of the transformation that's gone on in inside. And then one other thing he's left us with 
told us to do on a regular basis is to break bread. Communion, the bread and the wine. He says, do this in remembrance of me. We'll look at this in a minute. Can we have my slide up, please, Paul? So there's three things I want to work through. The miraculous and the mundane. This passage is, is a mundane, everyday, ongoing, regular routine of Christian life, and there's a miracle in the middle of it. But then I want to look at the meal itself. I wonder why it's in this setting. And then talk about death into life. You see, these believers were simply getting on with the everyday routines of Christian fellowship. This is what it means to be Christ's follower. The ongoing plod, the ongoing walk of being a Christian. These are things we do. We love God. We love others. We make disciples. We baptise them. And we break bread together on a regular basis. So here comes my first question, similar to what I mentioned just at the beginning. Do we yearn for the wonders and not for the walk? It's a fair question to ask. Do we yearn for the wonders and not the walk? Do we prioritise the experiences at the expense of everyday obedience? Everyday obedience doesn't sound very exciting. Experiences do. I get it. I understand that. But we can rely on these experiences and these exciting moments and we can run dry in between very, very quickly. Is that an honouring way of living life for Christ? It's in an ongoing walk with Jesus, actually, is where we grow. We don't grow in those big experiences, actually. They help us, they give us a boost along the way. But that's not where you grow. You grow in the everyday obedience of following Christ and doing what he's asked us to do and honouring him and worshipping him with our hands, with our feet, with our mouths, with our minds, with our hearts. So Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, he's telling a story about a dishonest manager and he tells his principle, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. See, the same applies to life in general. How you are behind closed doors, in private, in obscurity, that demonstrates your character. Are you faithful with the small things when you're on your own, behind your closed doors, that demonstrates your character. And if you're faithful in small things, you'll be faithful in the big things that come our way as well. This isn't to diminish miracles, big experiences and big events. I'm not decrying those at all. But they must be kept in balance. And it's faithfulness in small things that demonstrates where our hearts truly lie. <laughs> and I've recognised that in my life. When I'm behind closed doors on my own, do I look any different to Steve on the outside? on the street with my friends in church? It's a good question to ask ourselves. And it's in the small things that we learn faithfulness ready for when those big battles come. See, soldiers aren't suddenly given a uniform and a gun and said, off you go. They have some rigorous, ongoing, intensive, hard-hitting, actually sometimes abusive <laughs> training. It's ongoing and it's hard. And they train rigorous, rigorously for a long period of time before they go anywhere near engaging in battle. They maintain their strength and their skill and their stamina by training in between campaigns as well. It's that ongoing obedience in between those big moments that means they're ready for the battle when it happens. And actually you read stories, I read one just this week about an American soldier. When crises happen out of the blue, there was a, as an American soldier, there was a building collapse in his town and he happened to be there. And he just waded in and rescued people while this building was collapsing. And he said, my training just kicked in. It's because of his faithfulness and the ongoing training that when this crisis, this big battle occurs out of the blue, he's been faithful with little, he's faithful with much. 
that make sense? The tricky bit is remaining faithful in the mundane, everyday, ongoing aspect of life, isn't it? How do we not drift? How do we stay anchored? We need anchors, we need habits, we need healthy discipline, ready for when our roots get tested. And Jesus knows that. He's a good God, he's a kind God, he understands us. And he knows that. And so, amongst other things, he commands us to never stop breaking the bread and drinking the wine in remembrance of him. Because that provides an anchor in the everyday of life. When the battles come, you know who you are in him and what he's done for you. And that's why we do communion. That's why we break the bread. That's why we have this meal. See, surrounding this moment of life from death with Eutychus and his little story, is actually surrounding it is this most beautiful picture of life found in death. They're, they're there to break bread. That detail was given for a reason. They've gathered to break bread and they are celebrating life from Jesus' death. And in that moment is when this happens with Eutychus. They're gathered to break bread, not just to eat, but to do this specific act. And this is something that Jesus instituted less than 24 hours before his death. He knew what was coming. And so before it happened, he did this with his disciples. Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. Be familiar to many, but this is why we need to keep reading it over and over again. Luke 22, verse 14. 24 hours before he's arrested and killed, this is what happens. And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. Luke 22:14. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's been looking forward to this meal because he knows the importance of it. I've, been, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you, it's the new covenant in my blood. This is my new promise. This is my new signed and sealed marriage proposal. This is it. My blood is being poured out for you. So do this in remembrance of me. Naturally, at the time, the disciples were quite confused. What's he talking about? This soon made sense after he died and rose again. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he continues just to explain it a little bit more, to remind the church in Corinth, don't stop doing this. Do this well, do this orderly. They were just gathering together and making a bit of a mess of it. He said, there is a reason why we do this. Just because you're, you're making a mess of it doesn't mean don't do it. He said, do it, but do it well. And this is what he says. For I, receive, I, Paul, received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're proclaiming Jesus' death, which happened once and for all, but we're proclaiming it until he comes. He's alive and he's coming back again. He didn't stay dead. Amen. Jesus is alive. 
And this act, this mere act of participating, of breaking your bread and drinking a wine in remembrance of Jesus, it recalibrates our hearts. It presses reset. Presses the reset on the button and goes, who am I again? I'm his because of what he's done. I'm set free. I don't know about you, the longer you're a Christian, the more you realise how much of a sinner you were. (laughs) And and see how much of it's still festering. (laughs) We do. You realise what he's he's rescued you from and what he's rescued you into. And every time we do this, it presses the reset button to go, do you realise who he is? Do you realise what he's done? Do you realise who you are in him? Right, off you go. It helps us in our ongoing, everyday life. The supernatural aspect is the communion, the unity. The supernatural aspect is not in the food stuff. Some people may believe, other faiths believe that the, blood, uh, the bread becomes his body and so on and so forth. It's not. It's, it's still bread. And it's still wine or grape juice or ribena or whatever we get to use sometimes. But the principle is the supernatural aspect is in the communion. That's what shapes us. It's in the moment of when we're coming together with him. See, ritual shapes us. Jenny and I, and I know many other parents have done this with their children as well, Jenny and I have always had this, this um, we've, fought, we've fought the fight for dinner time. We're going to sit at the dinner table together, we're going to eat a meal together with no screens, and we are going to talk. We're going to talk. Amy, my, my, one question to Amy every single day, what's been the highlight of your day? Every day I ask her, what's been the highlight? What's been the best bit? It's normally a lesson where they didn't have to do anything. So, so now, now I've had to add clauses. What was the best lesson of today where you did some work? Otherwise, what's the best bit of today coming home? You know, so. But what's your highlight? What's the highlight of the day? Nothing is taboo around the dinner table. She can ask us anything. We can talk about anything. We want to be a family where anything goes for discussion. So nothing gets hidden and nothing gets never dealt with. Let's talk about stuff. But we've had to fight for it. Sometimes there's a treat. Yes, we'll sit in front of the telly. Or because of Jenny's back sometimes, we have to sit in the lounge. But generally speaking, we have to fight it. Because Amy wants to eat another time, eat later. No, we're eating now. We're going to eat together. Can I eat in front of the telly? No, we're going to eat out here and we're going to talk. We've had to fight for it. But it pays off. Because it's a ritual that shapes us as a family and instills deep set values, I trust, in Amy as she's growing up. It's an anchor for our everyday life that we as a family don't drift. It reaffirms our identity and it reconnects us. And that's exactly what this meal does for us as God's family. It reminds us and reinforces to us who we are. It lifts us out of ourselves. This is who we are because of who he is. It reminds us of our purpose and why we're here. And it grounds our existence in the very heart of the God who has saved us. It's not just a thing we do because we're Christians. Huge, great weight in this moment. And as much as it can be sombre, we're reflecting on a death, it should actually be celebratory because he's alive again and he rescued us because of it. We need to take it seriously. We need to take it seriously. This is for believers. If you're not a believer, then sit and watch us later. That's fine. Just observe, see what we're doing. This is for believers to come together. We take it seriously, but it's not a funeral wake. Actually, it's in some ways, it's a party moment. It's a family moment. We get together. We celebrate what our amazing big brother Jesus has done for us to rescue us. So Eutychus in Acts 20, he fell asleep and he died. And we, the church, we can so easily drift into a sleepy state and that can lead to death. 
I've seen it happen. It does happen. And in fact, in Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus is speaking to different churches at the time through his best friend John, he says, write this down. He says, to the church in Sardis, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. It's a warning shot. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Churches can fall asleep and churches can die. He is still building his global church. That will never stop and the church is unstoppable. In our portion of that, do we want to be alive or do we want to fall asleep and die? It's a big question. And it starts in here. Because you see, 200 years ago, Napoleon Bonaparte, he was gathered with some generals around a uh, map of the world and he pointed at a particular country and he tapped on it and he said, there lies a sleeping giant. There lies a sleeping giant. Let him sleep for when he wakes he will move the world. That was China. China has woken up. China is now one of the world's leading superpowers. He knew what he was talking about. The danger for the church is that we can be a sleeping giant in our part of the world. And Christ is saying to us, are you awake? If you fall asleep, it can lead to death. Wake up. And as David pointed out last week, the big obstacle to the church's unstoppability is our passivity. It's our apathy. It's a big danger. You remember he listed the four things? Fear, doubt, junk, and passivity. Passivity is a big danger to us as the church. That's what can stop us being unstoppable. Yeah, I'll let God deal with that. God's like, yeah, I want to deal with it through you. (laughs) Hello. Wake up. In God's grace, he raised Eutychus to life. And in his grace, he can do that with us as well. He can do that with any body of believers. Eutychus' name means fortunate. And he really was, wasn't he? We are fortunate in Christ for what he's done for us. And we can despise that treasure by not doing much with it. And as we gather around the table, it reminds us quite what he's done for us. We can't not run with that, can we? Yet sometimes we can still drift. We need to allow, each time we spend time breaking bread together, we need to allow it just to give us that wake-up call. This is what he's done. This is who he is. This is who you are. Off you go. See, if he can revive a dead Eutychus, if he, by Holy Spirit, can revive a dead Lazarus who had been dead for days, Jesus' friend, if he, Holy Spirit, can revive Jesus from the dead on the third day and lift him up into glory, then he can breathe life into you. He can breathe life into us. He can breathe life into whatever situation you currently find yourself in. He can breathe life into whatever dead end you may be facing. Is that right, Emma? Any dead end you face, he can breathe life into. Life from death in Emma's story. You ask her what's going on at the moment. It's amazing. Whatever apathy you struggle to shake off, he can breathe life into you. You've got to ask. Ask him. He'll breathe life into you. He has continued to pour the breath of life by Holy Spirit into us. But we can either embrace that or we can ignore it. We can turn a deaf ear to it or we can do something with it. The supernatural is and should be normal. Should be. But we must not hunger for the experiences at the expense of everyday obedience. See, everyday faithfulness is the key. That's our training ground, ready for when the battles come. And we can forget that and then suddenly realise it when the battles come. 
<laughs> it could be too late because our roots are weak. We need to remember this all the time. Otherwise, these experiences, these moments, these events, these miracles, they're just sporadic shots of Luca's aid. But what we should be doing is drinking on lots and lots and lots of living water. And we find that in committing to life together, centred around the one who made it possible, in feeding on the apostles' teaching together, feasting on the word together, but in breaking bread together, which we're going to do in a moment. There's a reason why it's also called communion. There's a reason why it's another name for it. It's because we're communing together with him in that moment. It's a communion moment and it's horizontal and it's vertical. It's a 3D act, if you like, a three-dimensional act that impresses Jesus' goodness on our hearts time and time and time again. So we're going to gather around the table now. I didn't want to talk too long this morning. I wanted to focus on this. As we do that in a moment, let's just, let's just recognise quite the majesty of what he has done. Jesus dying on the cross for you. The pain was in the nails. The pain was in the crown of thorns. The pain was in the flogging and tearing the flesh off his back. The pain was in that. But the greater pain was when he bore yours and my sin and Father had to turn his face away for the first time in eternity. That's where the agony is. And Jesus did that for joy set before him. That's what the Bible tells us. Think of the majesty in that moment. Quite what he's done for us. As we gather around the table, let's recognise the majesty of what he is doing. He's doing immense stuff amongst us just in Beacon. He's doing immense stuff across our movement, relational mission. He's doing immense stuff across the world. Across the denominations, across the streams, across the church families. He's doing amazing things. Stories keep coming through. Absolutely amazing stuff. The church is unstoppable and will remain so. I just want to make sure I'm on the front line of that. But as we gather around the table, let's also recognise the majesty of what he will do. Dream big dreams of what he can do. Recognise that your dreams are never too big for him to deal with or to, or to answer. This is the God who turns death into life. So we're going to sing a song in a minute. But to say, if you're facing a situation that you feel there's no way out, if you feel you're facing a dead end, if you recognise some apathy or passivity in your life, now is the moment just to talk to him about it and to recognise this is the God who can and does. This is the God who turns death into life. And if you want prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. There's a minute, he's on the ministry team today. He's available to pray. David and Barb, Fred and Iris, we'd love to pray with you. If you want some prayer, just come forward. But in a moment, we're just going to sing the song. And then um, I'll, I'll call you forward to come and gather around the table. Let me make some space. We've done one table for now. So I think sometimes we do one at the back just for convenience. We do one today. It just impresses. We're doing this together.